The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fire Lotus, those of you who are new. And happy Mother's Day. And it's amazing how that one little word, M-O-T-H-E-R, <laughs> could bring so much to us in so many different ways. Um, both the happiness and celebration and sometimes grief. Um, that our mother might be gone. Maybe we didn't know our mother. Maybe our mother wasn't so kind. But how else can we expand thinking about mother, mothering, nurturing, mothering ourselves? Yes. Prajna Paramita is the mother, the great emptiness, the mother of all Buddhas. The great earth is called the great mother. All mothering beings. It's said that the Tibetans say that everyone we look at was at one time our mother. I don't get that. <laughs> like, wow, that's a lot of people that were our mother. You, 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 you were my mama. <laughs> But maybe in some way, in some way, because who are we anyway? But I would like to give a shout out to my mother, Edith. My deepest gratitude to you, Mom, for bringing me here. Ah, I love her so much. I don't have a camera. I love you so much, Mom. <laughs> I'm telling her. And in recognition of Mother's Day, I wanted to introduce you to one of my great Dharma Dharma aunties, Ambapali. And she's come to my mind a number of times, especially with um, uh, what we're, the topic we're studying in this Ango, um, birth, what is birth, old age or aging, sickness, and death. And her enlightenment poem is found in the uh, Terragata, which is the awakening poems of the wise women of the Buddhist tradition at the time of the Buddha, where she, um, in her poem, directly faces and expresses um, the questions that we're inquiring into. These very simple truths and recognitions that are with us every moment. I spoke about this last Sunday, um, the five remem remembrances, five things we're encouraged to contemplate that are true. That I am of the nature to grow old, to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old that I am of the nature to have ill health, 
that there is no way to escape that some point sickness will come to me. That I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. That all that is near and dear to me, everyone I've loved, and love is of the nature to change. There's no way to escape being separated from anything or anyone. My actions are my only true belongings. That's what will continue. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. So we're encouraged by the Buddha to um, just keep contemplating these. And it'll change through our life. I know there was times where I told you last week, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. So sometimes they're near and sometimes they're far. But this is what's normally happening moment to moment. And there are many things that we don't want to contemplate. And for um, they may sound like terrible news to an untrained mind. As I said, buzzkill after buzzkill. <laughs> but what Ambapali shows us in her poem is that we can face this. And she does it without a lot of drama. It's not heavy-handed. She even has humor in how she offers it and guides us and how these remembrances guide us on our path and and the things we do and it really puts everything into perspective when we when we bring them to mind when we remember so i wanted to give you a little bit of a background on her life and that what the teragata is these poems of the wise women at the time of the buddha now, if you're following along with the Ango, you might have remembered meeting Ambapali in the Mahapara Nirvana Sutra, which is the sutra of the Buddha's last days of his life. And there was a there was a <clears throat> a meeting she had with the Buddha. So, Ambapali was a courtesan um, living as a woman of considerable wealth and influence in Vasali. And as a baby, she had been left outside in a mango grove, probably to die. Grove is Amba. And it's said that she was likely to be the illegitimate offspring of a very wealthy, influential people. And she was discovered and rescued by the gardener, or the guard of the guardian of the grove, which is um, Polly. So, Mango Grove. Her name is is that the gardener gave her her name, Amba Polly, Mango Grove. Kind of nice. And she grew up to be astonishingly beautiful. And every prince, there was actually fights breaking out to marry her. 
And it's not said whether she was forced to become a courtesan or she um, just that was something she wanted to do. And um, so she did that, and um, their disputes were settled, of course, when she became a courtesan because she was shared. She shared them all. She was shared by them all. And she received large sums of money for her beauty and accomplishment. She was famous throughout Basali. And she actually kept Basali peaceful and prosperous. Very powerful. Very powerful woman. And we are told she had a son by the king of Magadha, Bimbasara. She had a son. And when the son reached his appropriate age, he joined the Buddha's order of monastics. And Ambapali heard the Buddha's teaching from her son and became a follower and a supporter of the Buddha's teachings. Hadn't met the Buddha yet. And on his last visit to Vasali, as the story goes, she met him in person for the first time and invited him to a meal for him and his disciples. He got invited to a lot of meals. I mean, like all through his, I mean, he was eating pretty good. I mean, they did go on bedding, begging rounds. He kind of reminds me of my monastic brother, Yukon. Um, he kind of serves that part in the Sangha where he gets invited to a lot of meals. We've talked about this because he serves you know, a, a camaraderie, a, a companionship for a lot of people, and it's his service, right? But we have to keep it in check, too. <laughs> but um, anyway, she, she organized this meal. Lachavi, La, 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 La I, I think it's pronounced differently, tried to interrupt that and actually wanted to pay her off with a lot of money to, so they could have the meal, but she said, uh-uh, I'm doing it. So she prepared this meal at her house, and um, met the Buddha, and then donated a monastic, uh, a park to the monastics of considerable value that became known as Ambapali's Park. And I actually went there and when I was in India and sat there and visualized this encounter of, of what happened those many, many years ago, 2,500 and some years ago. I was sitting in that very place. Wow, it was so amazing. So it says, soon after that meeting, she began to practice the Buddhist teachings more diligently and asked to be ordained as a nun and began to realize how suffering follows from identifying with any set of conditions. And in this case, a condition such as her beauty so she left this awakening poem about that in 20 stanzas in the Taragata about the changes of her physical body. I just love her. So instead of taking refuge in her beauty, which brought her wealth and a lot of influence, in her prime, she makes space to take refuge in the Buddhist teaching. Just completely changed. And then offer these insights on impermanence for us. And how that 
leads to complete liberation of the mind. She's free. She freed herself. She freed her mind by directly observing impermanence. So this Teragatha, T-H-E-R-I, Gata, G-A-T-H-A, we just chanted Gata on opening the sutra. Theri is the Pali word for the elder wise women. Thera is the men from the order, was two. Women who have grown old in knowledge. And gata, gata means verse, song, or poem, just as we did. Gata on opening the sutra, right? Or stanza. And the, these are the earliest poems, some of the earliest poems by not just Buddhist women, but women in the world. Um, they were called udanas, which was translated as inspired utterances, inspired utterances, because they, they weren't written down. They were transmitted and, and passed on through song, through gatha, through verse. They sang them to each other. And it expressed in it how they lived, how they practiced. And, you know, by singing, that's how we can memorize things. I mean, think about one period of zazen when you have a st song stuck in your head, you know, because we, we know it, we memorized it, we remember it. So that's how they would remember it to pass it on. And so, um, so these um, utterances, these verses, are the ones that survived six centuries, six centuries of oral transmission. Wow. Right? Amazeballs, as one of my friend would say. Amazeballs. I love that. So we're left with these utterances that are worthy of repeating, memorizing, and passing down. And that's been part of my practice, is to sing them, and, me and I can memorize them. And I learn about their life, and I learn about my life. And one of the major uh, translators was in the 6th century was Dhammapala. And he said one of the uh, major characteristics of these utterances is that one or more of the verses consist of knowledge about some situation accompanied, accompanied by the euphoria and joy that is felt rising up. So that's their awakening, that the verse will have something about the joy that's rising up from what they're realizing. So interestingly, they're not uh, um, necessarily Buddhist, meaning they're not heavily laden with doctrines or dogma. They're just very, very human. So maybe they're just, they're Buddhist in that sense. They're very, very human. And some of the common themes in these poems are that the women are ordained, are ordained, they awoke to what's real, and speak about how they became enlightened. And they don't go into much in the poem about their monastic life or, or what they were practicing, or the, the rules or the schedules they followed, 
or, you know, or their meditation practice, but see if you can hear in Ambapali's poem her meditation practice. See if that comes to you. You may sense a technique. And just they speak about how happy they are in the freedom they've achieved. And what really brought me closer to these poems is they speak a great deal about sisterhood. And I, I always wondered about that. What is it? What is sisterhood? Why do I need my sisters? Everyone, but sisterhood in particular. Friendships between women. And it seems that most of them were friends before they were ordained. And some became ordained because their friends did. <laughs> That's not our process these days. <laughs> it's hard to be ordained. You know, there it was like, you just wanted to be ordained, you were ordained. Um, they were inspired to join. Or some opportunity opened for them, like a husband died, or um, they got divorced, or they escaped because they were being abused. And it, they, the poems speak of how women could be in community and have a kind of support group, being with others with similar experiences. This was really important in that time. So I'm talking about that time. where They can be with women who lost children or a child where their husbands died or they were abused or raped. And now they had someone who suffered the same events they did. And that can all be held within an institutional monastic structure. This is what is expressed in their poems. They're very direct about what happened to them. And we know how we feel when we have someone we can relate to, to talk to about our experiences. It's so important. Another theme in the poems is the kindness of strangers. Because a lot of these women were poor, they were wanderers, beggars, they were hungry. And they would just speak about how kind some people were that they met. Ooh, just got a, a, sh- a, wheel- a willy from the back. So they're speaking. You ever get that? Maybe some of you got it. And we never forget that, do we? There's the action, the kindness of strangers. We, we never forget that. Somebody we didn't know that did something, reached out in some way and helped us unexpectedly. So powerful. So this kindness and friendship was also emphasized by the Buddha as a key to religious life. Being kind and being friendly is key to a religious life. And they wanted that known in their poems. Um, Charles Hallisey, he um, teaches at Yale, Yale, Harvard, Harvard Divinity. And he's done, he's done a lot of translation on these poems. I love him because 
he's he's like he doesn't say things that aren't true like do we know these poems are by women actually we're not sure but if you read them and most modern day women would say that's got to be by a woman to have that kind of feeling and sensibility there's something in it that says they are women but he he he's like we just don't know for sure but let's say it is he said the women's poems vary in quality some of them deserve not only the adjective first in a historical sense they also deserve to be called great because they are great literature literature in the way Ezra Pound meant when he said literature is news that stays news <laughs> this that is part of why they are able to delight us today and why sometimes they are also able to change how we see ourselves news that stays news in southeast asia they're called it's called crooked speech meaning these poems say what it wants to say indirectly crooked speech the crookedness makes them powerful it's not what is said that's the real meaning it's what they're not saying that's what that's what they want us to get what they're not saying cuz everything can't be put down in writing or in paper and the real meaning is how we live their poems that's what makes great literature is how we live it in our own body and mind how we experience hearing them cuz we will all hear them differently that's the dharma there is a truth but we will all hear it in accord with our experience that's what makes them alive it reminded me of the the zen arts right with the the brush strokes or how form and emptiness interplay how sound or, or sound and space with the shakahachi right <laughs> and that's how we get the energy of the form is is those spaces right or the brush and what's not there and what's there and so we fill in this is why i love the zen arts is there's room for our own experience in the piece we complete it with our experience it's not said completely cuz can you say it all i remember after my shuso hosen um which is when i gave my first talk you know in front of the sangha and at the end daido roshi hugged me my teacher and he said 80% hojin 80% and i was just like i was like i was just like what does that mean you know <laughs> i was like you know is he criticizing me he was saying 80% hojin 80 and i've worked with that for years what that meant so when i read the poem there's this invitation for you to be imagining visualizing from her details what ambapali has given us what is she saying 
that isn't being said. And share the question of what Ambapali is trying to say to us and what is she not saying to share that question and to relive it, relive her poem now. So part of what we're doing and practicing in training, in, in, in hearing koans, in working on koans, in hearing stories, and is developing this visualization developing what we see or imagine in our mind's eye, in our heart's eye, what we're experiencing. So keep it in mind. In these poems, that is critical. And this poem was presumably composed when she was um, very old, after the passing of the Buddha. So there's a detail. If you can see her, she's very old, whatever that means to you. I see her now in a certain way. So try to visualize her. And each verse concludes with this amazing line stating, she's only stating what is true and nothing more. She's just stating what's true and nothing more. These simple recognitions, these simple remembrances of our life, old age sickness, birth and death, that are with us every moment. So in this poem, you'll hear her speak of her former beauty, noting how each feature is withering as she's aging. And the verse you'll hear is, this is the teaching of one who speaks truth. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. There's other translations, the truth of the truth, speaker's words, doesn't change. It's another way it's written or translated. Or, it's just as the Buddha, speaker of truth, said, nothing different than that. These are words telling the truth and nothing more. What the Buddha has said is true. I have no doubt. So those are different ways. I liked... This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. News that stays news. <laughs> the Buddhist teaching that on it or in things that are, are things are unstable, changing, nature of everything. So Ambapoli's poem gives many people quite a jolt really can shake us out of our slumber. So here's a trigger warning. <laughs> I used to do this when I was young. And if I didn't hear, want to hear something, I'd go, Mary had a little lamb. And I'd just hold my ears. <laughs> Which unfortunately was a lot when my mother spoke. <laughs> and she really um, shows us how we divide things up, our dual, dualistic tendencies. Attractive, unattractive, love, hate, this is good, that's bad. And how we can suffer if we cling to one of those sides. So she's asking us to get a little pliant as we get 
brittle, get a little pliant. (laughs) And if you do feel fear, it's not a sign that we need to turn away from anything. We can face the realities of our transient life. We can face it. Hopefully it will stimulate us to wonder about our beliefs, actions, and things to help that don't help us mature wisely, that we can make change, that we can shift. So when we grapple with these poems, we can catch a glimpse of what Ambapali saw. She gives us a chance to see through her poem to this very powerful insight about impermanence. And one of the other things I just have to mention why I love her (laughs) is because she gives a beautiful shout-out to hags and crones, which that's the phase I'm entering. (laughs) The hag and the crone phase. And this, they appear in the teachings whenever there's impermanence, especially in the Tibetan traditions. They're there to show us the power of that recognition. And there's, I read there's a Buddhist ceremony where children are blessed and splashed with a ritually prepared liqueur of deathlessness. Standing in front of a mirror, they get zapped with the liquid which is meant to cut their perception of themselves as solid entities. Seeing their projections as insubstantial, the reflection that is mirrored in the mirror because we are kind of haunted by impermanence. And there's this ceremony where these kids get splashed, that when we look in the mirror, the practices we should be, and see our face, we should see it wise with drying up. That's the practice. You look at yourself in the mirror, wise and drying up. (laughs) Like a riverbed. Not as something morbid, but just something true to practice. So that's what's recommended for us all. So after service, anybody that would like a splash of deathlessness (laughs) is being offered with snacks. (laughs) So the translation of the poem I'll be singing, chanting, is by Susan Murcott from her book, uh, The First Buddhist Women. Um, I'll be accompanying myself on the kalimba, which is actually an African instrument over 3,000 years old. Just this little box. It's been reinvented, but... My hair was black and curly, the color of black bees. Now that I am old, it is like the hemp of trees. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. Fragrant as a scented oak, I wore flowers in my hair. Now because of old age, 
It smells like a dog's lair. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. It was thick as a grove, and I parted it with comb and pin. Now because of old age, it is thin, very thin. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. I had fine braids fastened with gold. Now old age has made me bold. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My eyebrows were crescents painted well. Now they droop their wrinkles as well. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My eyes flash like jewels, long, black. Now they don't make any one look back. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My earlobes were beautiful as bracelets highly crafted and bright. Now they sag and have wrinkles all right. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My teeth were beautiful, the color of plantain buds. Now because of old age, they are broken and yellow. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. I had a sweet voice, like a cuckoo moving in a thicket. Now cracked and halting, you can hear my age in it. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My neck was beautiful, like a polished conch shell. Now because of old age, it bends and bows well. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My arms were beautiful, twin pillars they hung free. Now because of old age, they are weak as a paltali tree. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My hands were beautiful, set off by rings, gold as the sun. Now because of old age, they are radishes and onions. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My breasts were beautiful, high, close together, and round. Now they're like empty water bags. They hang down. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My thighs were beautiful, like an elephant's trunk. Now because of old age, they are bamboo stalks. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth.
My calves were beautiful, gold anklets I wore as jewelry. Now because of old age, they are like sticks of sesame. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. My feet were beautiful, delicate as to filled with cotton. Now because of old age, they are cracked and rotten. This is the teaching of one who speaks truth. This is how my body was. Now it is dilapidated. The place of pain. An old house with the plaster falling off. So, what did you visualize in your mind's eye? What did you hear that she is not saying? Do you think she's lamenting the loss of her beauty? Complaining about her current state, her great age? I open it to you. What did you see? What came to you? You can just speak out. No, she's not lamenting. She's not lamenting. No. She's simply talking the truth. Who said? Who said that? Oh, acceptance. Yeah. How do you see her? Like, do you get any visuals? Like, seeing her? What does she look like? Where is she? Where do you see her singing this? Speak up. She looks like, she sounds like she had a good ride. <laughs> She's not pretending, finding ways to pretend that she's not beautiful. Outside her hut with a broom. I like that. Eric? Mm. Teaching she's giving to younger women or younger monastics, maybe to all of us. I mean, what body could not exclude, I felt like. Yeah, someone else? Yeah. In some ways, it sounds like she's having a better time now than she used to. She's, she clearly has a sense of humor. And it's like, you know, obviously in pain, she literally says that. Mm-hmm. But there's less pressure, and she's kind of mm-hmm. just hanging out. <laughs> All her words that might describe uh, 
beauty. I find her really beautiful. Hmm. In her, in the present state that she describes, because of the the truth, hmm. and that truth is is a has a beauty to it. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing someone who knows themselves, mm -hmm. well, that's a that I've experienced that as a as a beauty beyond, mm -hmm. you know, well beyond physical. There's no right and wrong here. It's like this is where it comes alive. It's just you, what you're left, what we're left with, right? And that's good literature, right? It can't. I, I have no dis, no description if it's right and wrong. But this is. Is there anything else? Yeah. Yeah, she's accepting, and I used to be, and this is how it is now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, a little bit. Do you notice any practice that's going on here? Did you see a technique? Right, body scan, right, head to toe, right, yeah. Okay, yeah, that light in her eyes. Oh, Rudy. Yeah, I, I just I have something to say that's related but not directly about this particular part of the talk. Uh, when you mentioned um, that everyone is your mom. Scientifically, all fetuses start out as female, and testosterone turns some of those fetuses into male. And so, scientifically, we all start out as female. And so, in a way, um, everyone, in fact, can be your mother, your brother, your cousin, Everyone wanted to say something? Okay. As Dogen writes in Birth and Death, when there is nothing to hate and nothing to cling to for the time, for the first time, we enter the heart of the Buddha. When there's nothing to hate, nothing to cling to, for the first time, we enter the heart of the Buddha. And he also read during the Ango Intensive, I wanted to share this piece from the Vimalakirti Sutra. Friends, this body is so impermanent, fragile, unworthy of confidence and feeble. It is so insubstantial, perishable, short-lived, painful, filled with diseases and subject to changes. Thus, my friends, as this body is only a vessel of many sicknesses, wise people do not rely on it. This body is like, and then he goes on to, disc, to use these very transient images, this body is like a ball of foam, unable to bear any pressure. It's like a water bubble, not remaining very long. It's like a mirage, 
born from the appetites of the passions. It's like the trunk of a plantain tree having no core. Alas, this body is like a machine, a nexus of bones and tendons. It's like a magical illusion consisting of falsifications. It is like a dream being an unreal vision. It is like a reflection being the image of former actions. It is characterized by turbulence and dissolution. It is like a cloud being characterized by turbulence and dissolution. It's like a flash of lightning being unstable and decaying every moment. The body is ownerless, being the product of varying conditions. And he goes on. This goes on. It's like grass and trees and walls and clods of earth, hallucinations, um, like being driven by a windmill. Its duration is never certain. We don't know. Certain only is its end and death. This body is a combination of aggregates, elements, and sense media. He goes on and on. He says, friends, the body of a Tathagata is the body of Dharma. It is born of morality, of meditation, of wisdom, of liberation, and the knowledge and vision of liberation. It is born of love, compassion, joy, and impartiality. It is born of charity, discipline, and self-control. It is born of the path of ten virtues. It is born of patience and gentleness, speaking about you. It is born of roots of virtue planted by solid effort. It is born of concentrations. It is born of learning, wisdom, and liberative technique. So, like many of you said, resting in what is, not pretending. We are living a living Buddha in that moment. And so her poem is a love song, actually a love song, to love life and to be giving it away. This is what Ambapali realized. This is the teaching. This is the teaching of one who speaks the truth. So, thank you, Great Mother Amapali. To all you mothering beings, continue to nurture and give away. This is the teaching of one who speaks the truth. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.